As jy by ons skyer vanavond en as jy heel eerste keer, ek wil vir jou sê, jy is so welkom hier, so ons vertrouw jy gaan het geniet saam met ons en uh, ons vertrouw ook dat jy dienst saam met ons gaan geniet. Ek wil jou gins vraag as dit jou eerste keer is na afloop van die dienst. Wil jy nie vir ons een draai net maak, by die deur uit aan die rechterkant is die infotoonbank, daar wil ons net persoonlijke contact met jou maak, vir jou chocolate in die hand gee en vir jou sê, jy is welkom en uh, um, net net vir jou, hallo sê, uh, van aangezicht tot aangezicht. So, vir die rest van die familie, hy, kom ons verwelkom hulle, met a lekker cheer, en a lekker handen klap, asblief. Amen. Kom ons kyk vannacht, aan ons familie nies. Een visie, een span, wat saamwerk om harte te wen vir een goeie God. Ons nooi amal wat reeds deel is en amal wat wil deel word van die Dream Team. Uit na Team Night, wat donderdag die 11e juli, 7 uur die aand, hier by die kerk plaasvind. Ondou asjeblief om een soet of soutappie saam te breng. As jy graag ons voetspore disciplskapsproces wil bijwoon, let asjeblief daarop, dat daar vir juli mond geen voetspore sessies sal wees nie maar jy is welkom om in augustus aan te sluit, wanneer dit weer sal afskop. Alle groepslewe is van hierdie week af weer oop en sal aangaan soos normaal. As jy nog nie by een groep ingeskakel het nie, kan jy geris een draai maak by die infotoonbank, om te hoor waar jy moendlik kan inskakel. Breers 4 vers 12 sê, want die woord van God is levend en krachtig, en skerper as enige tweesnijdende zwaard. Ons wil graag allemaal nooi om deel te raak van die bybelskool waar jy dier dieper in die woord het helf, toegeris word met sy waarheid. Bybelskoolregistratie vind plaas hier by die kerk op die 15 juli om 7 die aand en eerste klasse begin al reeds die 22 juli. Ons strijd is nie teen vlees en bloed nie, maar teen elke mag en gesag, teen elke geest wat heers oor hierdie sonde gewerk. Kom ontvang sy woord as jou wapen en word deel van die bybelskool vir meer inlichting oor enig iets wat gebeur by Levende Woord Midrand, is jy welkom om ons webteister te gaan besoek by www.levendewoordmidrand.co.za of alternatief gaan besoek ons Facebookblad. Jy kan ons ook dophou op Instagram. Geniet die diens en onthou, mag het reen daar waar jou bokke wei. Amen. Ek wil net so twee dinge echo uh, wat die familie nie sê. Eerstens vir die, vir die mense wat langstel in Bijbelschool, um, jy is welkom om by die infotoonbank draai te maak. Uh, volgende, na, uh, volgende maandag is uh, registratie en dan is daar natuurlijk ook vir die wat belangstel uh, en vir wie dit moendlik is, is daar ook een ochendschool wat nou begin, soos op woensdag ochend en 9 tot 12, jy is meer as welkom om daar so in te skakel, vir meer inlichting kan jy die inlichtingstoonbank, uh, infotoonbank net gaan besoek en dan saam met die groepslewe wat alles weer hierdie week begin, begin plantatie ook dinsdag, so um, al die tieners is welkom, plantatie half 7 dinsdag, en um, natuurlijk deel ons groot nies by Team Night, donderdag, so as jy deel wil wees van die, van die Dream Team, ons het nies wat ons gaan deel, en ons is nogal so opgewonden oor daar die nies, so dalk is jy net neskierig, jy is welkom ook om Team Night te join, want hou net jou soet en soutappie, verstaan, jy gaan nie vir nie die nies skry nie. So, dan sit vir my voorweg, um, 
om iemand aan julle bekend te stel vanavond, en um, hy is ons gastspreker, so ons het ontmoet so jaar terug by een conferentie, en uh, ons het in die week daar gesels oor, oor hoe divine hierdie connection eigenlijk was, en, en hoe, hoe ons kon sien hoe die heren saand die, die in het was, want ek was by een kerkconferentie, en ek bedoel, jy, jy trek ordentelike kleren na kerkconferentie toe aan, maar as jy nou drie weke in Amerika is, is jou tas nou al veil, en jy het nie meer noodwendig skoon kleren, en soos wat ons kleren bezig was om te was by die tannie wat ons gehuist het, uh, het, het alles net gaan staan en lang gevat, en, en toe moest ek na die conferentie toe gaan met my springbok terwijl. So, nou moest ek met de rugby terwijl conferentie toe gaan, en, en soos dat ek in die conferentie sit, het hierdie ouwe by my gestap en herken, en, of wel uit die trui herken, en het kom groet, nommers uitgeril, en vir jaar lang het ons net mekaar aangetjeer en boodskappen gestuur, uh, man, it was a divine connection. So I'm going to switch it over to English now. Uh, because he's almost a decade in the States now. Uh, incredible man of God. And he, he's just over the couple of days and over this year, just by, by texting, become an incredible friend. And we just want to honor you. So we have in the house uh, Moses Mashita tonight. And uh, just, uh, we know we, we honor people and honor leaders, but the glory goes to God. But can you honor him with a great... Great round of applause, please. So, before I hand over to you, I, I would like to welcome Mrs. Mashita in the house and cousin also in the house. Uh, you're so, so welcome. Thanks for giving us Moses. Thank you. And the rest of the friends, you're so welcome. And uh, he's a great man, ma'am. He's a great man. And uh, we honor you for that, and uh, uh, you, you've raised a great leader, and uh, I just want to honor you for that. And uh, he's part of Seattle, um, of uh, Christian faith in Seattle. There's a lot of S's there and C's. And, uh, Christian faith Seattle. Listen, church, if you think Sunday night church is great, they have Saturday night church, Sunday church, and Monday night church. There's so many people that they are reaching, and it's an incredible church. And uh, they are part of that church, and we honor you. We honor Pastor uh, Casey and, and Wendy Treat, and uh, you and Tasha are great leaders. And, and thank you for being with us. Thank you for, for this couple of days. It was awesome spending time with you. And, uh, man, you've become a great friend over this time. I can't wait for next year to come and visit Seattle, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So you're so welcome. Welcome to our church. This is our family, and you're part of the family, man. You're so, so Welcome. Listen, if you are um, comfortable, you know, extend your hands, please. <laughs> Lord, thank you for Moses and Tasha and the, the ministry on their lives. We just want to pray. Thank you for the word that he's going to share tonight. Uh, may it just bless everyone here tonight. And may you bless Moses tonight as he's sharing the word. And thank you, Lord for the word that we are about to receive. We honor you in Jesus' name for it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> hey, good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, too. Thank you for asking me. 
Not a single service has asked me how I'm doing, okay? So I'm doing fantastic. I'm so glad to be here this evening. It's really been a great privilege to be here this whole weekend uh, because while I've been with you guys this Sunday, but I've spent the past two days with Pastor Zelvin and his family. He, on Thursday, he took me uh, golfing. We, we, did, uh, we call it top golf back in the States, but I think it's simulated golf over here that we did. Man broke my arms, uh, but it was fantastic. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And then just last night, he he had me stay up very late in the cold, and we were watching some racing out there. And I'm thinking, man, I want to come back for this stuff. This is the culture I want to come back for. Uh, it was fantastic, and I loved it. And I'm so grateful, really, for this friendship. Grateful that you wore your Springbok jersey that day, that I could reach out to you, and that you've invited me into relationship. And we cannot wait to host you next year. He's coming to Portland. Portland is three hours from where we are. And so we're going to steal him from Portland and come and have him settle with us in Seattle. He might not come back to uh, Midrand. We're not certain about that. He might not come back, uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll just steal them. But I'm really grateful, sir, that you have invited us into this relationship. And Madiba taught us that a way into a person's heart is through his or her own language, right? So that's, that's his thing. So, Egvulnet Bayadankian Ise, and Egvulwok say that Yele se kerke, sir, as a lekker kerk. Yele te mui deng my mother paid for my Afrikaans, so she'll be very disappointed that it's so weak, okay? So for three years, she paid for me to go to uh, Afrikaans school, but uh, I can't need all this uh, I've just, I've just lost everything, uh, really. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have some family and friends that, have, that are here in, in our midst, but really, I just want to honor my mother, a woman who uh, has stood by, as all parents have to do, right? <laughs> That's all parents have to do, but she went over and above the call of duty. And I don't think she would to, to bring me up, to rear me up, and to release me. 11 years ago in 2009, I don't think she will remember. I had just been elected the student body president at the University of the Free State. And my mother looked me in the eye and said to me, you are no longer my son. You now belong to the world. And she released me to go into the world and be what God had designed me to be. Because scripture says that children are like a quiver, are like an arrow in the quiver of a parent. And parents shoot them uh, into, into the world. And so uh, and I'm grateful for her. So I just want to honor you publicly, say thank you so much, Kelebo, for everything that you've done uh, in my life. My wife sends her greetings. They're going to put a picture of my wife up there. Her name is Tasha. Uh, Tasha is a ginge, and she's a great leader back in Seattle right now. In fact, they're having church at this moment. It's 10 a.m. in Seattle right now, and she is leading uh, worship out there. Uh, she's a wonderful person. Met her 10 years ago, and she and I have been going uh, since then. Um, Tasha tells me, we, ha we don't have children yet, and I think the reason we don't have children yet is because the Lord hasn't blessed us uh, because there's no unity in my household on how we want our children to look like, okay? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Because I've decided the kids have to have red hair, but they have to be dark. That's my decision. They have to be dark. And they must have freckles too, somehow, right? And so she's decided that's not going to happen. Uh, and so we don't have kids yet. So pray for us, please. Your anointing, share it with us that we may have children. But that, that's my wife anyway, one of the most phenomenal leaders that I know uh, and, and, and respect in this world. I, uh, as, as Zelwin has already said, we are with Pastor Casey Treetarton in Seattle. And he's leading a phenomenal movement out there. And we're just honored to be serving with him. Amen? 
Uh, hey, if you brought your Bibles with you, will you please go with me to the book of Acts? Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be. I taught the same message in the morning sessions. It's going to be tailored very different, slightly different before you guys here because I was told that this is a primarily young service. I was told that this is a primarily student-oriented service. It might not be the case because I know that there's a few people in the room who are young in heart, young in spirit, and who are throwing themselves into this place. And so I want to invite you as well to lean in. Please don't write yourself off and say, no, that's not for us. But I want you to lean in and say, this too is for us. The message that I have that I want to communicate with you is titled, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Their Eyes Were Watching God. And when I conclude, I hope you will discover why that message is so important for this time in our lives and in this country in particular. Let us pray before we go into the word. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your posture of goodness. And I know, Lord God, that it is so with every single person in this room. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are on top of the mountains and for those who are at the bottom of the valley. I pray also for those who are in the middle of it all. And I pray that you meet them where they are, O God. And Lord, I pray that you will just supply every need in this room. Your word says that you do so exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. Scripture says, Lord God, that you are God who, are, who is determined to make sure that everything works out for us, that nothing can separate us from your goodness and your mercy. And over the church of here and living the world, I speak that word, Lord God, and I say it will come into fruition, Father. I speak it into the senior pastor's family, and as it flows through his family, Lord God, it will flow through every single member in this church. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. In the book of Acts, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, Luke is a doctor at this point. The scriptures tell us that he is a doctor for a specific family. And this family is a benefactor to him. And they sort of instruct him, they commission him really to write a letter to us. And he titles this letter, the Acts of the Apostles. Or in other words, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Luke writes about the, how the Apostles went about the entire world spreading the message of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 17, he specifically tells us about a journey that an individual called Paul takes. Paul is someone, if you read the Bible, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He encountered Jesus as a mature Jew. In fact, he was persecuting Christians when he encounters the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a divine encounter that blinds him for a period of time. He is sent to an individual who mentors him for what we think is a period of about 13 years. This individual mentors him and afterwards releases him to go communicate the gospel of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul makes it his mission to go from town to town establishing churches. From one town he goes, he finds individuals, and he communicates the message of Jesus with them, and they respond affirmatively. In other places he would go, and people would not respond affirmatively. And so in this instance, in Acts chapter 17, he goes to a city called Thessalonica, a city that still exists today in the country of Greece. When he gets to Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul communicates about who Jesus is. He tells these people about resurrection life, something that the Jews already believed in. But he goes further than just telling them about resurrection life. He says to them, it can only be attained through the person of Jesus. And this becomes a stumbling block for them. It violates them. It offends them to the extent where they want to kill Paul. And so his friends tell him, Paul, these people are going to kill you. You need to get out of town. And so he flees Thessalonica and goes to a place called Berea. 
When he gets to Berea, Paul again, as his customs, goes into the synagogues and communicates to them about the good news of who Jesus is. The people in Berea, Luke records for us, receive Paul. In fact, they love the message that he teaches to the extent that they go home afterwards and open the scriptures themselves to interrogate the things that he was saying to confirm that they were true. When Paul was flourishing in Berea, the people in Thessalonica heard that Paul was flourishing. The very ones that wanted to kill him, chased him all the way to Berea. And when they got to Berea, again, they wanted to kill him. And so his friends told him, these men are after you and they're trying to kill you. Paul then consulted with his friends and he said, I should flee, but instructed them to remain. And so he left Berea by himself and went to the city of Athens. And he waited in Athens for his friends Silas and Timothy. And he told everyone else, he says, until they come here, I cannot go anywhere. When we read scripture, we know that Paul spent a few days in the city of Athens. Athens, you would record, if you've read any circular literature, you would know that it is at this time a a city leading in thinking, a city of ideas, a city of philosophy, a city where people would go to discuss issues and to consult on how they can move the world forward. But absent in the dialogue in the city of Athens was this idea of who God is. And so one day, Paul leaves his lodging. He leaves the place that he was staying at, and he looks out in the city of Athens. He goes to the public square, and he recognizes that there's some things over here that do not sit well with him. So I want to invite you to come with me into the scene that Luke is about to paint for us, what Paul sees and what bothers him a little bit. Luke says to us in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, What's this blabber trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, He seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I notice that you are very religious in every way. And over there you can replace the word religious with traditional, with conservative, with established. You have your own pattern of doing things. And it says, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And, one of your, and on one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all of the nations throughout the, world, the whole earth. 
He decided beforehand when they should arise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And let's pause over there and parenthetically insert that the Apostle Paul says that God predetermined before the foundations of the earth the boundaries of every single human being on earth. Consider, for instance, that you and I are sitting today in northern Midrand, southern Pretoria, and the reality of the fact is God knew before the foundations of the earth that we will be seated here tonight, and he gave us purpose with our being in this place. And he's about to tell them what their purpose was, and this is what he says. He purpose, his purpose was for nations to seek after God. Nations in this instance, of course, includes all of humanity. If you and I consider ourselves having come to church tonight, people who are seeking after God, the Apostle Paul would say to us, not only are we who are in church the ones that are seeking after God, but there are also those who are outside. However way they're doing so, they too are seeking after God. They just have not found a way to God yet. And so the Apostle Paul continues over here and he says his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he's not far from any one of us, for in him, and this is the establishment, the foundation for why he's speaking right now in Athens. He says, for in him we live, we move, and we exist, or we have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. Consider for a moment what the Apostle Paul is doing. He essentially walks out of his hotel room and goes into the public square. And when he gets to the public square, he recognizes that the people of Athens are living certain lifestyles. In fact, for every single lifestyle that they live, he recognizes that the people of Athens have an idol that they put up in the public square. The gods, in other words, that they've placed their trust in. He looks around and the scripture says he's bothered by that. And I think it's not a type of bothering where he's angry with people, which is a reminder to us that God is not an angry God. He's not a God that's out to get you. He's not a God that is worried about your sinful life, that he wants to destroy you. If anything, when God sees us hurt ourselves, he has compassion on us. And this is what happens with the Apostle Paul over here. He has a compassion upon a city, and his compassion compels him to want to tell them about a God that they don't, know, that they don't yet know. And he looks at a pillar that they hadn't described. And on, upon this pillar, he says, that is the unknown God. And he says, this unknown God whom you have not yet described is the one upon whom the foundations of the earth have been founded. Paul is reorientating their entire foundation. He's asking them a very significant question. He says to them, what are the things that have your affections? What are the things upon which your entire life rotates? What are the mechanisms upon which you are fixated and everything else comes around that? When I was in university, there was a man who taught me philosophy, and he was a critical ideology person who critiqued ideology. His name was Johann Fasaki. And Fasaki came upon a theory, and he called it norms and hypernorms. And the idea behind it was that every single human being has normative ways of living. In other words, you and I have things that we have affections for. We love our family. We love our sports. We love our money. We love our schools. We love our languages. We love the, the things that we do with the things that we have. We, we just love those things. But Fasaki said, if you studied any human being at any given time, there's one thing that ultimately tends to go above everything else. And from that thing, his, entire, his or her entire life orientates from that. It comes from that. And he would call that a hypernorm. And so the Apostle Paul looks at the people in Athens and he asks them the question, 
What is your hypernome? And he recognizes that their lives flow from things of no significance. And he calls them to look upon the unknown God. And he says to them, that unknown God is the one that you want to fix your life upon and orientate yourself from. I believe with everything I have from spending time with your pastor and from watching your church throughout this morning that God has strategically placed you guys in between the two centers of influence in South Africa. And the question that's been posed to you guys because you sit really in the bedrock of Pretoria and Johannesburg. And the question that's been asked to you guys then is, to which God have you bowed your knee? From which God does your influence flow? Where's your orientation as you sit here in this place? Where are your affections, as you said, in this place? Because every single one of us has something that is in front of the other. What is it that is foremost in your life that everything flows from? Have you figured out in your life what it is that you're so obsessed with that you will run after it with everything you have? And could we, if we were to look into your eyes, into, into your heart and into your life, determine right now that it is God who comes first in your life? There's four things that Paul picks up as he as, as he observes society in Athens, the first thing he picks up is that the people in Athens are obsessed with their idols. He recognizes that all they want is their latest idea and the latest philosophy. And his recognition is that, one, these things can be both a distraction and a good thing. And you and I know when we go to our universities, when we go to our place of employment, when we go to our marketplace, our squares... Those things can be either a distraction or they could be a positive for us. And you must determine how to use them. And the only way you determine how to use them is to answer the question, whom have you placed first in your life? The second thing that Paul points out as he notices what's happening over here is that some people are merely pursuing knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Luke is very particular to say that he had conversations with Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans, in this instance, are a philosophical breed or group who really are concerned with the idea of pleasure. They love the notion of physical pleasure. Whatever it is that gives you physical pleasure, they believe that the body desires that and should receive that. On the flip side were the Stoics, the hyper-intellectuals. Their belief system really was that the body is a dirty thing. They didn't rate the body very much, very platonic in their thinking. In fact, they figured that it is only in whatever the next lifetime is that the body will be an acceptable means of interactions as humans. But Paul comes in between that and he says, but this God really, in a sense, loved us as we were, and he gave us resurrection life as we are right now. And he says he's fulfilled every single need that we have, whether a physical need, an emotional need, or an intellectual need, God has already satisfied that, and he has entrusted us with a particular task once we have that. And what is that task? The purpose for which we have been sent now is to show humanity the compassionate face of God in its entirety. And I think that is the purpose for which you have been placed in this church and that you have been placed in this city that you now find yourself in. Thirdly, Paul recognizes as he's talking to these people that every single one of these gods has some form of mystery to them and unknownness to them. And I think you and I live in a country or in a place, really in a world today, where only so 
some people seem to be the ones that have knowledge of God. People have a monopoly on who God is. But the Apostle Paul dismantles that idea. There's no mystery anymore. God isn't a hidden God. It isn't only a select few people behind the curtain who know who God is. All we have to do is open the scriptures and we get to know the living God. We get to know Jesus himself. We get to walk with him. And so the Apostle Paul communicates that to them. He says, to the one that you say is an unknown God is in fact the one who has opened himself up to you to be known by all of you. And so that is the God that you and I have been invited to come serve. And the fourth thing that Paul does is illustrate to us this idea that if you and I are to touch base with society, then impact will take place. How will we grow our church? Not by sitting in the pews of the church, but by going out in the marketplace and communicating the ideas that come from the Bible. So I want to encourage you, whatever field of study that you are in, whatever work that you are in, whatever profession that you find yourself in, do not relent in pursuing the best forms of knowledge in that arena for the sake of inviting the people who don't know God to a life towards God. Because whether they walk through our doors or whether we find them outside, these people are seeking to know the true God. We live in a country of idols. We live in a world of idols. Some idols are very visible to see. Some people worship the underground. Some people make rituals of all kinds. But others are the money that we are all driving after. Others are the things, it's travel, it's a vacation that we are working for. It's just the things that are designed to satisfy us and who we are. Can I encourage you to tell you here this evening that the things we are chasing after will not necessarily satisfy us. What will bring satisfaction to our lives is the knowledge of the one true God, the unknown God. The one that the Apostle Paul says, in him we live, we move, when we have our being. We find our essence, we find meaning in our lives. He is the one that anchors who we are. In Jesus, we live. In Jesus, we move. And in Jesus, we find our existence. The writer of the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes to an audience that had become disillusioned. It's an audience at this time, we believe that the Emperor Nero had attacked them and they were really uh, beginning to run away from their faith because they thought, man, we've been persecuted for our faith. We need to scatter and run away from it. Uh, uh, the writers believed to be female. I don't know. Don't, don't take that to the bank. It might have been the case. It might not have been the case, but we don't know who the writer is. But he, she writes, and in her writing, she says in Hebrews chapter 1 from verses 1 to 4, she recognizes that the people in fleeing and being persecuted were beginning to trust other human beings above everything else. In fact, what had happened was that there had been sightings of angels. The scripture says to us, when you read further in the book of Hebrews, that some of us sitting in this room have in fact entertained people that we thought were mere strangers who were in actual fact angels. If you read through the Old Testament, you will recognize appearances of angels over and over again to people where they communicate to them. And so they began trusting in this idea of angels. They wanted this notion that God must come supernaturally in the form of angels to them. And the writer of Hebrews communicates to them and he says, that is not necessarily how God speaks to us today. And this is how God speaks to us today. 
Verse 1 says, long ago, God spoke to many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Recognize he has spoken to us through his son. Past tense, it's already been established in his continuous phase. And he says, God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he has cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of God gave him is greater than every one of their names. And so he reminds, she reminds us again that in Jesus, the Son of God, we live, we move, and we have our being. The substance of our existence, the writer of Colossians tells us, is Jesus. Everything finds its meaning in Jesus. When you and I have uncovered the reality that Jesus is the one that anchors everything in our lives, I believe truly with everything I have that you will find harmony come to our nations, that you will find reconciliation come to our nations, and you will find flourishing and prosperity come to our nations. When Jesus is the anchor, not our political opinion, not our sporting codes, not our education, educational attainments, not even our financial ambitions. When we anchor Jesus, I am convinced with everything we have that we will see flourishing take place. And if you don't believe me, watch what the words of Jesus himself look like when he talks to his disciples. Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, he records for us that Jesus gives his disciples a thought an instructive thought, really. And the thought is as follows. He says to them, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You seek first the anchoring of Jesus as the ultimate in society. And watch what will happen when you do that. When Jesus becomes the center of our university campuses. When Jesus becomes the center of our hospitals. When Jesus becomes the center of our educational institutions. When Jesus becomes the center of our churches, when Jesus becomes the center of society's motion, Jesus says when the kingdom becomes the focus of our eyes, all these things, the preceding verses that spoken about them having needs and desires, they wanted clothes, they wanted homes, they wanted financial well-being, prosperity, flourishing. They wanted those things. And he says when you make the, the kingdom of God your anchor, says, all these things will come following after you. And I am persuaded with everything I have that the fracture that exists in our society will only be healed when churches like ours exist. That the fracture that exists in our society will only be healed when the Lord Jesus Christ is placed no longer in the periphery of society, no longer in the margins where people are hiding, but he will be brought back to the center again. And from him, everything will flow. And as the Apostle Paul says to us, in him we live, we move, we have our being. Does your school flow from who Jesus is? Does your business flow from who Jesus is? Have you recognized that God has financially blessed you so that you can be a conduit for kingdom orientation? That there are many people beyond these walls who either look like us or don't look like us that need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is a gospel that will set them in motion. Have you noticed that God is about to blow this place up? And in blowing it up for the good, he's going to orientate us towards kingdom expansion. 
the Old Testament prophet Isaiah says that of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no stopping. There will be nothing that stands in front of it. And the encouragement then is that men and women like the Apostle Paul will stand up. And I'm convinced they will stand up here at Levendevort. That as you guys stand up, we will see a a spread of kingdom orientation throughout the north and throughout the south and wherever your pastor's heart orientates itself. That we may run as he writes the vision and as he reads it. The scripture says that those who read the vision, let them run with it and let them see what kingdom impact we may make. And I speak this into being. And I say to you guys, let us anchor the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let us be reminded that in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. And maybe you might be sitting here this evening. I'm going to encourage every person in the room right now to please close your eyes and bow your heads. And you might be sitting here this evening and you hear me say that it is in Christ we have our movement. It is in Christ that we have our being. But it is in Christ that we have our livelihood. Our sense of Zoe life. And you were sitting there and you were saying, man, all I'm recognizing, all I'm seeing, all I'm experiencing in my life is lack and a sense of being taken away. And I'm I'm not talking about financial lack right now. I am just talking about lack existing in your life. A sense that things are being stolen from you. Self-sabotage at every turn. And you feel that you are far from God. You feel that you did something that just sent you very far from God. And you don't know how to return to God. Here's the good thing. When we read in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul says that there are people that are seeking God everywhere and they think He's far, but in reality, God is very close to us. And all we have to do is turn towards Him again. And so if you feel in this room that you are far from God and that you have ran away from Him, that you're not serving His purpose, but tonight you would like to return to purpose life, perhaps for the very first time ever, Or maybe for the first time in many years, maybe when you were a teenager, you used to love and serve God and walk with Him. And tonight you say, man, I would like to return to my first love because I recognize the purpose for which God has sent me, both in this country and South Africa or wherever you may go, end up in the rest of the world. Because wherever you go, there you are. And God has sent you for a mission and a purpose. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed right now, I am going to count to three and I'm going to invite you to make an acknowledgement that you would like to follow Jesus and draw near to him again. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and as soon as you've raised it, if you can just slip it down again, just quickly raise it up and then slip it down again when I count to three. And I want you to make that acknowledgement. Friend, God is reaching out to you because he loves you so much. His posture towards you is love. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not out to punish you, but he's out to draw you to himself that he may restore you to purpose again. So if that's you in this room, one, two, three, all across the sanctuary, you raise your hand, you say, man, I want to follow Jesus. Thank you. Just raise your hands everywhere. Thank you. Hands going up. People following Jesus. You've determined right now that you want to respond to him. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Anybody else, you just say, man, I want to join. I want to connect with who Jesus is. I want to walk with him. So you want to lead your family to reorientating yourself again. You recognize that things are out of balance and you want to bring them back into balance again. Ma'am, you just want to orientate your children's school again. You want to orientate your life again. You want to come back. Thank you. Thank you. You just say you want to be in relationship with who God is again. Purpose. To walk in his will, to seek first his kingdom and that everything will be established after you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your posture towards your people. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that this moment is significant in so many people's lives. That you begin a work today that you alone will complete, O oh God. And I thank you for the peace that will prevail in families. I thank you for flourishing that will visit families, God, as they continue to orientate themselves towards you. And I pray for your hand upon this church, Lord God. And I thank you that your goodness and your mercy will dwell in this house. That many young people, many middle-aged people, many old people will be drawn to this church in all her expressions, Father. That peace may come upon this nation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.